Last week, the hosts of Rhymes with Orange attended the Carolina Cannabinoid Collaborative Conference, hosted by Campbell Law School in downtown Raleigh. We were a little bit overwhelmed by all the biomedical jargon, but we came away curious about the potential medicinal benefits of cannabis. So today on the podcast, we're talking to Dr. Chris Breivogel. He is a cannabinoid researcher and a professor at Campbell who helped organize this conference, and he's here to answer all of our questions about cannabinoid research. I'm Kate Stoneburner with co-host Billy Liggett, and this rhymes with orange. Well, welcome, Dr. Breivogel, and we always ask our guests on this podcast to tell us how they got to Campbell. Where did you come from? What brought you here? Yeah. Well, um, I was doing a postdoc in Richmond, Virginia, at Virginia Commonwealth, and uh, my wife and I had two young children and wanted to move back to the area because she's from the Raleigh area. So my father-in-law sent us a clipping from the newspaper about the job for a pharmacologist. An actual, news, an actual yeah. newspaper clipping. Yeah, that was in uh, <laughs> around 2000. So wow, okay. Actually, yes. I guess that's before LinkedIn took off. That <laughs> yeah, explains exactly. it. <laughs> well, that's great. And we asked you to be on the podcast today because last week uh, we attended a conference that you were a lead organizer of, the Carolina Cannabinoid Collaborative Conference 2018. Mm-hmm. And we were not sure what to expect going to a conference no, no, at all. Not at all. Uh, but we found was it was a really just a regional meeting of biomedical researchers, and it was pretty serious science. So for those who haven't heard of it, could you explain a little about the purpose of the conference and what you guys accomplished last week? Okay, well, the Carolina Cannabinoid Collaborative has been an annual meeting for about the last 10 years, organized, well, fairly locally. It hasn't always been in North Carolina or South Carolina, but... Uh, it's in a way a offshoot, and we're working on making it a official chapter of the International Cannabinoid Research Society, which is an annual meeting that's been taking place for about 30 years now. Um, so that happens in the summer, so the CCC meeting got started so that there would be something sort of in between. You didn't have to wait a whole year to get together and uh, and learn about the latest research in cannabinoid science and meet people and to start collaborations is one part. As a matter of fact, I think... Uh, as a result of that meeting, I'm going to start a collaboration with some folks at UNC Greensboro awesome. uh, to work together on some compounds they're developing, and then we'll test them in, in my lab here at Campbell. That's great, because we definitely wanted to hear about what projects you're working on right now. Um, Campbell hosted this conference, and when we were there, most of the science went right over our heads. We weren't sure I, whether we were going to hear about I have never that. felt like the dumbest person oh, in yeah. the room. <laughs> As I did when, um, and I will ask about uh, Dr. Uh, Macrianus um, in a little bit, but when he started speaking, I had never felt so insignificant in my life. <laughs> it was straight science. It was awesome, though. It was great. Like, I haven't talked about molecular structure ever. <laughs> so, um, we were just, like, taking notes and hoping that we could Google this stuff later, uh, which I think is actually going to work out for us. But uh, could you explain in layman's terms what sort of thing that you work on as someone in the field of cannabinoid research? Okay. Well, I'll start saying, on Friday afternoon when y'all were there, that was the hardcore chemistry stuff. We wow. started with, like, the, the <laughs> most... You know, molecular level stuff at the you, chemical level. You couldn't, and you couldn't just, you couldn't ease us into it a little bit. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I didn't plan it that way to, to mess y'all up. Okay. <laughs> and because uh, I like the, the structure was sort of, we started there and then we went to um, how the endocannabinoid system works in the body. So that's the uh, system of signaling molecules that are generated by the body and then the receptors that receive those signals. 
so this is the way the um, physiologically the body works, right? That some cells make signaling molecules to signal to other parts of the body. And the endocannabinoid system then is the endogenous cannabinoids, which again just means the, the chemicals made by the body. Uh, so we moved from the chemicals to that system in the body, and then we ended up at the therapeutic application of different cannabinoids or, or affecting the cannabinoid system. Now, my research, uh, research personally, uh, since graduate school, has really been looking at the cannabinoid receptors. There's two uh, that have been identified in the body known as CB1 and CB2. I did pick right. up yeah. on that, yeah. yes. And the, uh, the fact that that's also my initials is merely coincidental. Hey! hey. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I had discovered them, I would have named them that anyway, probably. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never know. Yeah. Um, but so I, I'm interested in the receptors themselves and how they work, basically, um, and how they're affected by different types of drugs, including the, as I mentioned, endogenous cannabinoids that are made by the body or THC, which is the main active ingredient from cannabis or any of these synthetic cannabinoids that have been developed, like you saw in Dr. Macarianis' talk, talking about these synthetic chemicals that have been developed to sort of probe how the receptor works. Uh, and so my latest research has really been about how uh, we're recognizing now that people have started using these things recreationally. They were intended as research tools, the synthetic cannabinoids. Okay. Um, and so somebody figured out, hey, these things are not illegal because the DEA never thought to control them because they were never intended for human use. So but about 10 years ago, they started being sold on the market as Spice or K2. You may have seen some of these things. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And these are synthetic cannabinoids that activate the receptor. Same receptor as THC or the endogenous cannabinoids, but they do it. They appear to be much more powerful in the way they activate the receptor. THC is actually kind of weak. Huh. Um, but these things seem to be much more dangerous because although, you know, nobody's ever been confirmed to have died from an overdose of cannabis or even THC products, but people are dying from using the synthetic cannabinoids. And we believe this because they're much more powerful at activating their stuff. Wow. So that's my most recent research is just trying to figure out, well, how are these things different and why is some of them seem to be so much more deadly than others? But I guess what we picked up and, and we didn't attend the whole conference, but when you said the end of it dealt with therapeutic to explain what cannabis is being used for, I okay. guess. Yeah, that's a, a couple of questions versus what is it being used for and what's the state of the science? And those are actually two almost entirely different things okay. <laughs> because we, we know from what you call preclinical studies, like studies done in the laboratory or with the mice and rats and things like that, that um, there is uh, a lot of evidence that there are effects on the pain perception through cannabinoids like THC and other cannabinoids who will block the perception of pain, very similar to the way that opioids like morphine mm -hmm. or fentanyl, codeine, those drugs. But it's a different, it's a whole different receptor system. So the opioids act on the opioid receptors, cannabinoids act on cannabinoid receptors, but they have similar localization in the body. They also, um, well, back, so cannabinoids, though, uh, the receptors are found in many more places in the brain than the morphine mu receptors, right? Matter of fact, they're all over the brain, which is why you saw maybe, I don't know if you saw at some point, a list of all the things that people were using cannabinoids for. It's a pretty extensive list, but pain is right, one of the most common use for people that are either self-medicating or that have been recommended to use cannabis by a doctor in a state where it's legal, like California or mm -hmm. Oregon. Right. Um, 
So that does seem to be the leading use. Now, it doesn't treat all kinds of pain, but it seems to be really good at treating pain from nerve damage, specifically what they call neuropathic pain. So not like if you have a cut or post-surgical or even necessarily dental pain, you know, those kinds of things mm -hmm. where you have damage to the tissue. It seems to be more specific to damage to neurons. Other things it's used for because it affects memory and appetite and a lot of other things, it's also used... Um, for PTSD seems to be a fairly common use or just anxiety seems mm -hmm. to calm people down. And um, I don't know if y'all know this or a lot of people probably don't know this, but there actually is a legal version of THC, which is again, the active ingredient from cannabis as a drug called dronabinol, or it's sold as a trade name Marinol, which is been used for uh, treating nausea and vomiting, mostly for patients on cancer chemotherapy. So those drugs cause severe nausea and vomiting. Uh, cannabinoids like THC will decrease nausea and stimulate appetite, which is yeah. actually a fairly well-known side effect for recreational users, right? They call that the munchies. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> right. But it's, it seems to be a real effect, and it works wow. really well for patients on chemotherapy. I mean, and some people, you know, historically people have, you know, smoked cannabis for uh, those kind of nausea and things. But there is a legally approved, FDA-approved drug um, for those conditions. So. so the second part of your question, though, right. so yeah. there's, there's a lot of evidence in animals that, that should work for some of the things that people say it works for. But most of the evidence that it works in people is what you call anecdotal, right? Because there's been very limited clinical studies to actually prove that it works for these conditions, right? So the, the standard for like the FDA to approve a drug, you have to have what's called a randomized clinical trial or randomized controlled clinical trial where you have neither the subjects nor the, the doctors giving the drugs know which patients getting which treatment. And then after you do the treatments and you collect your data, then you look and see, okay, these patients took the drug and these had a placebo, right? And you have to prove statistically that the drug worked better than the placebo or it didn't have any side effects that would make it unusable. You know, there's all these are part of the clinical trials for getting a drug approved. Well, there's been very, very little of that with huh. cannabinoids. Um, there were clinical trials to get THC approved for nausea and vomiting, but I don't know that there's been any federally funded studies on marijuana or cannabis, right? Because, mm -hmm. well, it's, it's illegal. <clears throat> it's still considered highly illegal by the federal government. And so there's this... It sounds like you're at a, you're at a big crossroads with this because... States are starting to legalize in, in forms and for certain uses. Sounds like the science is advancing tremendously in this. Um, that coupled with um, the legality, coupled with people's perceptions of it's not as bad as maybe they thought it was 30, 40 years ago, coupled with the opioid epidemic. It just seems like it's a perfect storm brewing right now and you're at a really a, a important point in this research. Um, is that, do you, do you think that's true? That, that's true. I mean, I do think it is kind of coming to a head. I mean, the, um, the first state to legalize the medical use of cannabis was California back in 96, I believe. Um, they did it by ballot initiative. The, uh, and then there were about 10 other states that followed, each of them with a ballot initiative where the people voted, a majority of the people voted in an election to allow it. Um, there weren't any state legislators that would legalize it, you know, through their own legislature. Mm -hmm. right? So and now I think it's more than half the states are allowing 
some degree of medical use. Not all of them is liberal as like California where it's you just have a doctor recommend it and you get a card. Well, and now there are 10 states that have legalized cannabis use for just recreationally for anything, California being one of those, uh, Colorado being the first, which I'm, you probably heard about. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it was in the news a lot. Right. Um, so a lot of states basically started just passing it and allowing medical use on their own because there was, uh, I think in the federal government still considers a schedule one substance, meaning it's dangerous and has no approved medical uses. Interesting. Do you know anything about North Carolina and where we stand on that as a state? Yeah. So North Carolina, um, did, uh, within the last couple of years, legalized the use of hemp or the growth of hemp, which is a version of cannabis with very low THC. So the rule is it has to have less than, I think, 0.3% THC. Mm. A typical cannabis may have 5 to 10% THC. And then when you get to some of these really powerful strains that are being grown and used in states like California, right, or where they have these medical, maybe 25, 30% THC. So they're allowed to grow the cannabis plant now with less than 0.3% THC. And you can make preparations of the oil and things as long as it stays under 0.3% THC. Um, and they also legalize the use of cannabidiol. We haven't talked about cannabidiol yet, right? So the main biologically active ingredient in cannabis is THC. That's the one that gets people high and it has the anti-nausea effects and pain effects and all that. Well, there's another very similar compound called cannabidiol. And that's also really hot right now. The last few years it's been recognized to have some very interesting potential medicinal properties. But again, not a lot of clinical trials at this mm -hmm. point to prove that it works in humans. Um, so that's called CBD. You may hear a lot about that CBD oil or CBD. That is legal now in North Carolina. It's actually, if you read the statute, it's really only legal for treating intractable seizures or if you're a healthcare provider treating somebody with intractable seizures. But I understand because it's, uh, it's not psychoactive and that it makes people high and there's not really a, there's never been a black market for it. Mm -hmm. that I understand even though it's still not really legal uh, and the federal government still considers it illegal for um, anything but seizures, but there's not much interest in prosecuting is mm -hmm. my opinion that, you know, where I'm seeing this going. So, um, so cannabidiol or CBD was recently approved by the federal government for treating seizures. There was a clinical trial with two rare childhood seizure disorders, one called Dravet's and the other one's like Lennox Gasto, some very rare infantile seizure disorders. And there was good evidence that it, this cannabidiol was treating it when a lot of other more conventional like anti-seizure drugs weren't really working. So federal, uh, sorry, FDA recently approved it, but the federal government did reschedule cannabidiol from one. Again, one is the most dangerous category that's considered to have no legal uses, which is kind of a funny place for cannabidiol <laughs> to be because it's not addictive, right? So Schedule 1 is supposed to be addictive drugs with no medical uses, but it's been in Schedule 1 along with all the other compounds related to THC um, since they started scheduling things, right? So they said cannabis and THC and all the things, chemicals related to it that come from cannabis are Schedule 1. Um, they've basically rescheduled cannabidiol now as Schedule 5, which is one of the least regulated but only for these seizures and only for the FDA approved indication for anything else that's still schedule one. So anyway, so the question was about North Carolina, right? Yeah. So North Carolina has said you can use CBD for seizures, any kind of seizures, right? But, um, 
the federal government still considers it Schedule 1, unless you're using, I guess, this FDA-approved product. It's called Epidiolex, uh, and it was just approved by a company named GW Pharmaceuticals that's been interested in cannabis-based drugs for a long time. Mm. Matter of fact, one of our sponsors for the conference was called Greenwich Biosciences, which is a subsidiary of GW. Sure. <laughs> yeah, we saw you had quite a few sponsors actually. Yeah. You, you mentioned, well, speaking of sponsors, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned legality and, uh, um, and you mentioned sponsors. Campbell University was a very big sponsor of this collaborative, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we're here today. Uh, you, you said the word liberal earlier. That's not a word that's ever been used to describe Campbell University. <laughs> Campbell has, has put his name on this, on this, despite the fact that there's still a moral, um, I guess distance from from this field for obvious reasons. Uh, how? Why is Campbell University involved in this, and uh, and and enough so to uh, to back a, a conference like this? Well, um, good question. So when uh, I expressed some interest in Campbell University hosting this event, of course I had to get approval, you know, all the way up right. to the top, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it, it is a scientific conference. I mean, and was a mostly basic research was presented. Um, there was a little bit of clinical research, uh, but it was mostly basic, basic, but I mean, laboratory type, you know, with molecules and maybe rats and mice and cells going in a dish and that kind of right. stuff. Um, a little bit of uh, clinical content, but it is just a scientific conference. There's no advocacy. There's not, um, we didn't have, you know, sponsors there or vendors there trying to sell any products with our, with le- uh, dubious legal status. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I almost kind of expected that going in there, but yeah. you're right. It was, it was strictly, you know, strictly, yeah, strictly science. science. Yeah. And had we, uh, we, we did have offers, potential offers from a couple of uh, sponsors, but they, they wound up pulling out anyway, but anybody that wanted to sponsor, say the local like hemp store in, in downtown Raleigh, had they wanted to sponsor us, we would have had to take a hard look and say, well, what is there? Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, what's their legal status? Are they, yeah. So we didn't, we didn't have to deal with that. Fortunately, the companies that did sponsor us are legitimate uh, companies. Um, one, uh, well, our corporate sponsors were really just uh, Greenwich Biosciences. Um, and then uh, that, province brands of Canada, right. which is an, an interesting business model. But what they're doing is 100% legal in Canada. Yes. <laughs> and they weren't trying to market and sell their brands or anything. Yeah. Well, when did you first become interested in studying these cannabinoids? Oh, well, I was in graduate school at Wake Forest University right here in North Carolina, right in Winston-Salem. Uh, and when I started uh, in 94, my, I actually started with my, my research advisor there in, in the pharmacology department, was uh, studying opioids and those, how those receptors work. And the field of cannabinoids is really just starting to take off. So it's kind of a funny story. He actually, about a year into my graduate work, I came to him and said, you know, I think I would really like to start investigating the cannabinoid field because this is a really, you know, rapidly emerging field. The receptors had just been discovered a few years earlier. They discovered some of the earlier synthetic drugs that you could use to study these things. And he said to me, well, you know, I mentioned that to you about a year ago that you might want to look into that. I said, oh, well, I see you were right. (laughs) (laughs) You're uh at your conference, um, your first speaker right out the gate was Dr. Alexandros Macrianus mm-hmm. from Boston. And uh, um, again, what he said went over our heads, but I Googled him and 
he is a huge figure in this field. Um, he he uh, sounded like Einstein, even had kind of Einstein's <laughs> demeanor, but he he um, commanded the respect in that room, and, and uh, um, it seemed like that was a pretty big get for this conference. Um, mm-hmm. uh, how important is he in this field? Um, he is one of the scientists that's been in this field um, for quite a while, and one of the... F- one of the first organizers of that International Cannabinoid Research Society, which started around 1990. So yeah, he's uh, he's very well known. He uh, has, as a synthetic chemist, he's developed a lot of these compounds that are used to study the cannabinoid receptor and its effects. There's a lot of them called AM, followed by a number. That's mm-hmm. him, yeah. Alexandros Macrianus. Oh, so okay. if you see those compounds, that's so when you say so when you say CB one could have been named after you, that that these are actually named after them. These, <laughs> these compounds. Okay. Well, the receptors, the receptors, yeah, yeah. But right. The compounds, yeah. You'll see yeah. there's a lot of JWH or AM, and mm-hmm. these, okay. these compounds are often named after the inventor. <laughs> now, he was he was fascinating, uh, and then you mentioned also um, the. Uh, in North Carolina, the hemp growers. I understand there are hemp growers here in Harnett County, and in the very brief talk that I had with Dr. John Bartlett from Campbell, um, he was talking to me about how um, these hemp farmers are finding um, a pretty big economic boost from from this because a lot of them are former or still current tobacco farmers, and the tobacco industry isn't what it once was. And so, do you see hemp becoming um, maybe a, a big economic boost to this area if you know, if things continue trending upward, is that possible? It's certainly possible. That's not, certainly not the area I've, you know, seen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know that there's, uh, there are a lot of um, claims about, you know, the uses for hemp. And a matter of fact, if you look back in history, um, they used to use hemp to produce most rope and mm-hmm. sails for sailing ships and things. So right. it was a very important crop before the development, especially of some of the synthetic things you can use to make rope and things with. So uh, there's there's a lot of potentials. Apparently, it's uh, considered to be a very renewable resource that grows quickly. You can use it to make paper and things like that. So um, specific grow and replenish more quickly than um, trees used for some of the same purposes. So um, I think there, there's certainly a big market for it right now because it's just recently legal. I assume that's why people are doing so well you know if, it, if the market becomes saturated I, right. I may not be as profitable well thank you so much for coming in and explaining all of the science to us um and yeah we wish you the best of luck with your research and hope that this could be potentially a good thing for north carolina well thank you for inviting me it's uh, been a pleasure